amen, amen. There's some good truth right there. Go ahead and have a seat. And he won't fail no matter what. No matter how dark it gets, he'll keep shining the light. No matter how messed up this world gets, he'll, he'll keep straightening things out. And um, our world's a little messed up. Our, our world's got some issues. Our world has some major problems right now. Um, but I need to tell you that in a world that is confused and in a world that is um, full of questions, this is not the time for the church to slink back into the shadows. This is not the time for the church to cower in fear. Now is the time for the church of Jesus Christ, the league of extraordinary believers, to stand up and to rise up and be the church and be the answer for all the world's questions. That's the new series that we're in right now and that we launched today is Be the Answer. And we're gonna find all of that on all of those answers in the Bible in Matthew chapter 24. So why don't you take your Bibles and turn there. Matthew chapter 24. Now, um, I'm using two different books to um, base some of the study that I am doing on this that we had available for you the last couple of weeks, and um, we still have some more books. It is The Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas and The World at the End by David Jeremiah. Some of you, in fact, many of you, didn't pick your books up. They're waiting for you. If you signed up and prepaid for those, um, they're waiting for you at the connection point right now, but we also have additionals if some of you wanna get those books and read along and study along with us as we study in Matthew chapter 24. True statement or false statement? As human beings, we often get things wrong when we try to predict the future. And you've been around long enough where you remember people predicting like the rapture of the church to say it's gonna happen on this day and then it doesn't happen. And oh, wait a second, I was wrong. I was off on my calculation, so it's gonna happen on this day and then it doesn't happen. And we're pretty messed up when it comes to trying to predict the future, so we should just probably stop trying. Here's an example, 2007. Um, while being interviewed by USA Today, uh, the Microsoft CEO, Steve Ballmer, said this. <laughs> There's no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. No chance, he says. And this, he, he goes on to say, iPhones will only be desired by technology nerds, but not the general public. That was in 2007, and 16 years later, with more than two billion iPhones phones sold, I think it's safe to say that Mr. Bomber was wrong in his prediction. But we live in a world full of bad predictions. We live in a world full of, full of information and disinformation and misinformation. I still have a, have a hard time understanding the difference between the two. We also live in a world of non-information as far as information that is trustworthy. Who is it that we should be listening to? Who is it that we can trust? Do you find yourself asking yourself that question? used to be able to pick up a newspaper and read it and think you were getting told the truth about circumstances in your town or in the nation, turn on the TV and watch the news. 
Do you know that there are two million podcasters out there? Along with 600,000 journalists that are on 24-hour news networks, 400 24-hour news networks. And that's not even including the countless quote-unquote ministers out there that are blogging for your ears and for your hearts, and they're blogging for your trust. I have the answers for you, they say. I'll tell you the truth. In fact, I love this. I'll help you interpret all that your eyes are seeing. Like we need to be, have something interpreted for us. They wanna twist what they know that your eyes are seeing. We'll help you get through to the other side of all these things that are happening on. Anyone in the room, any of you guys old enough um, to remember this famous nightly phrase, and that's the way it is. You want to admit it? Who was that? Walter Cronkite, exactly. <laughs> One of the camera guys is going, yes, I remember, I remember. That's awesome. Could we, could we trust Walter Cronkite back then? Should we have trusted Walter Cronkite back then? I mean, you, pretty much reporters were reporting reality and, and the truth of what was going on. Like, where are all the Walter Cronkites of today? Like, honest reporters who actually report the truth. They don't put a spin on it. They just report what it is. That's the way it is. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to trust that? So many voices, so many arguments out there, so much predictive speculation going on out there about what's going on in our world. Everyone has their own theory on what's really happening in the present time and the present age that we're living in, and they're trying to convince us of where our future is taking us. I'm here to tell you that the majority of what you hear out there is just noise. It's like human nonsense. It's a really troubling time to be living in. Well, I wanna go on record today and I wanna proclaim in the assembly of the League of Extraordinary Believers <laughs> that there is only one opinion that we can trust, only one global agenda that we should examine on a regular basis. There's only one voice that we ought to value above all others, and it is the clear, precise, infallible voice of the Lord Jesus Christ given to us in his word. My you know, friends, the, his voice is the only voice that we can trust, especially when it comes to understanding what's going on in our world, why it's going the direction that it is going, and what's going to happen next. And our Lord knows everything that has happened in human history and that ever will happen. He knows it in advance and he knows it in detail. And 2,000 years ago, he decided to sit down with Peter, James, John and Andrew to answer their questions about the future. But the answer that he gave them, interestingly enough, was not telling them about their future, he was telling them about our future. And we read about it right here in Matthew chapter 24. I am so excited to get into this and to get into this for the next several weeks that we're gonna be working on this to hear about 
what Jesus had to say to us 2,000 years ago. Does that make you feel special at all? I mean, does that, does that just wake something up inside of you and excite you? Yeah, you're very convincing. Very convincing. Okay, today, here's what we're gonna examine. Today, we're gonna examine the undeniable prophecy in chapter 24 of Matthew. This is the longest recorded message of Jesus about the future and the future events. Events that I would, would submit to you are the events we're living in right now. It's called the Olivet Discourse because it was uh, while they were sitting on the Mount of Olives when he gave this message. The Mount of Olives is a ridge just uh, above the Kidron Valley that overlooks Jerusalem and Israel. This was one of Jesus' favorite places to go. He loved to get away and escape uh, for a time of prayer, for a time of reflection, and time of just rest and getting alone. He would go to the Mount of Olives. This is the place, the Mount of Olives, where we're, what we're reading about here in the Olivet Discourse, where in just a few days from the time he did this, he's going to actually miraculously ascend into heaven after his resurrection. But this is also the place that the scripture prophesies that his feet will touch down upon when he returns to earth at his second coming, and at that time he will come and defeat his enemies and establish his kingdom. In fact, Zechariah 14.4, I have it on the screen for you, explain, it describes it. It says, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. This is where this setting is, where we read in Matthew chapter 24. I have a picture of it here. This is how it probably looked in Jesus' day. Just beautiful hillside, like olive groves everywhere. This was Jesus' favorite spot, but this is not what it looks like today. This is what it looks like today. You know what those are? Those are concrete tombs. And the hillside is covered in them. I've been there. I've stood there. And it's estimated that over 150,000 Jews are buried there because they want to be close by when Jesus returns, when their Messiah comes. What they don't understand is that they've already missed him. Because when he's coming back for the second time, he's not coming like they think he is coming. He's already come in humility and in peace and to bring salvation to the world. Here's the view that Jesus and his disciples would have had that evening in Matthew 24, overlooking Jerusalem. This is a picture from the Mount of Olives and you can see why it would be a favorite place because this is Jesus' beloved Jerusalem. And this is the view that you have from that. This is a very special place to deliver a very special Message. Some have called this message, it's called the Olivet Discourse, but some have called it the blueprint of the ages or the master plan for the last days. And this is where we're gonna spend the next several weeks that will take us into the fall. Today's gonna feel a little um, like you're in a Bible class in college. There's a lot of, I'm gonna give you a lot of historical detail and, and, and background, but it is so crucial. If you hang with me, I think you'll see through um, the importance of this very first thing that we are looking at today in Matthew chapter 24, verses one through three. So hang with me, all right? Because the one who spoke these words on the mountain 
holds in his hands the future of the world and your future and mine. He rules over the affairs of all the nations that are raging out of control or seemingly raging out of control right now. And I want you to hear me that Jesus is fully in charge of all the events that we're gonna be reading about leading up to the rapture of the church, the final battles of human history, his glorious return, the establishment of his kingdom, and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. He already knows all that will happen during your lifetime and mine, and if we will listen and apply the truth of these words, I guarantee you, your plans and my plans and our priorities will change on how we're living this life. Our view of this world and the things that are seemingly important to us in this world right now will change. Our outlook is going to shift from the immediate or the temporal to the eternal. We'll begin to interpret the headlines of today in light of Christ's glorious return. I believe that at the end of this message series that we will think better thoughts, we will experience healthier emotions, we'll respond with better reactions, we'll do better things, and his kingdom will increase. So the question is, are you up for the challenge? Sure. Who said? <laughs> okay. We need to sing another song or something, get you guys pumped up. Listen, this is, it's gonna be a challenge. We're going to be plowing through some things that are really hard to work through. And I hope that you'll come ready to go, Bible in hand, prayed up, open heart, open mind to hear it all and take on the challenge to be the church, to be the answer for the world in desperate need. All right, here we go. We're gonna start with this. Number one, the shocking prediction that we find in verse one of chapter 24 of Matthew. A shocking prediction. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciple pointed out to him the various temple buildings. So basically, they're walking out of the temple. This is actually Jesus' final time leaving the temple. His heart is breaking. They don't know that, but they're impressed with the buildings around them. And it's, it's, it's a little weird, like, hey, Jesus, check out the building as they're, as they're walking out. Did you notice the buildings around you? Did you notice the temple buildings? What's Jesus gonna say? Yes, I did, you know. What's the big deal? Let me give you some background so that you know what's going on and why they were so impressed and were pointing these things out to Jesus. They were pointing out Herod's temple that's being reconstructed. It was in the middle of being reconstructed. After this, and what happened is after the destruction of Solomon's temple, Herod began building this new temple 20 years before Jesus' birth. And it was completed in 64 AD. So right now they're in 33 AD in that, in that range right there, okay, whenever this is going on. So the building, the, the temple was still under construction, but, and I don't have time to go into it all with you. It was a magnificent structure. You can actually read about, the Herod was an amazing king and had an amazing mind for creativity. He did some wild, really way out past what human humans could do and humans even knew back then. But this temple was a pretty special place. Here's a picture of Herod's temple. And the disciples were obviously impressed, but not so much Jesus. And so the disciples were like, man, Jesus, are you noticing? 
Are you seeing, and maybe they didn't think Jesus was making a big enough deal about it, but are you noticing these buildings in this temple? And look how Jesus responds in verse two, but he responded, do you see all these buildings? <laughs> Isn't that something? Do you see these buildings? Look at these buildings, Jesus. Well, do you see these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Now, you and I don't get why this is such a shocking prediction. But those words that he just spoke, that not one stone will be left on top of another, that they're gonna demolish, completely demolish this building was frankly unbelievable. These are unbelievable words. Surely, I'm, I'll bet the disciples are like, surely he's thinking metaphorically. He's, he's speaking metaphorically now. He said some kind of weird parable that he's teaching us about the temple right now. Because there was no way in their minds that this building was being torn down. It was totally impossible. And the reason they would think that is because this building had been cut, had been built with stones that had been cut from local quarries. And some of these stones were 20 feet long, 12 feet high, and 12 feet deep. These were massive stones that weighed several tons. And they actually had to use rolling systems, roller systems. They would put these stones on, and they built these huge embankments to roll these stones up the embankment and set the stones into place. And so everybody, there's everyone who would have heard the words of Jesus say, every stone's gonna be torn down off, they would say, impossible. Impossible, never gonna happen. Not possible to tear this building down. So that's where the disciples were. But I want you to hear that, that this wasn't the first time that Jesus had predicted the destruction of the temple. I'm gonna have on the screen Luke 19, verse 42. I want you to hear this. At another time, not this time, at another time, this is what he said. How I wish today, he was speaking to Jerusalem, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace, but now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you, excuse me, and close you in from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Are you hearing these words? Now fast forward 37 years and here's what happens. In the year 70 AD, Rome is ruling the known world, and the Roman general Titus, in order to put down a Jewish uprising, has his men build large wooden scaffolding around the walls of the temple. Now, it was a tactic no one had ever used before in order to try to tear down a stone temple. But they decided to try this, so what they did is they piled up wood of all kinds of, and all kinds of flammable material in order to set it on fire. And when they set it on fire, history tells us that the heat was so intense that it loosened the stones so that they were able to, the soldiers were able to dislodge them. And because the temple was on a temple mount, it was an elevated position, they were able to roll the stones off of the foundation and down into the valley below, one by one, don't miss it, wait for it, leaving not one stone upon Another. Have you heard that before? Luke 19 says this, before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls. Now remember, at that time that Jesus said this, no one had ever tried that tactic before. 
They will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close you in from every side. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. So let me ask you, what are the odds that Jesus Christ could guess about the destruction of this temple 37 years before it happened exactly the way that he predicted it would? What are the odds of that? Zero. Because he wasn't guessing. You need to hear this, and this should encourage your heart, that when Jesus speaks, there are no odds. What Jesus says will always come true exactly the way that he said it would. He prophesied and predicted something here so outrageous that no one could believe it, yet, my friends, it is so historic that it can't be denied. You can go right now, you can read about it this morning in Matthew 24 and Luke chapter 19, and then you can go home right now, today, and you can look up on Google what Wikipedia has to say about just Google Rome and Jerusalem, 70 AD, and it will tell you exactly what Jesus said happened, happened. No one can dispute it. In just one verse here, Jesus establishes his inf infallibility as a prophet. And you might ask, like, why are we spending so much time on this? Well, because Jesus was specifically accurate in his prediction of and prophecy of the temple, we can fully depend on the specific accuracy of the rest of what he's going to say about our future. That's why this is significant. Um, What's pretty special, you guys, is that Jesus is getting ready to tell us and tell his disciples about everything that's going to happen from that point until the end of the world, as we know it. But beforehand, he decides to give us this little prediction about the temple. And they're going to, some of the disciples actually saw the destruction of the temple. They were alive during the destruction of the temple. But I believe for us, this is a special gift that Jesus was giving us. He knew that we would be reading the scriptures in a time that we're living in right now that is very confusing. And before he starts telling us exactly what's going to happen and what we're going to be living through, he gives us this prediction, this outrageous prediction about the temple and then he knows that we're going to be able to actually prove that it happened exactly the way Jesus said it happened by history. We can go look in a history book and read about exactly what happened and it's exactly what Jesus had said was happened 37 years before it actually happened. To give us clarity and to give us faith to believe that the things we're going to read about now are going to happen with the same precise accuracy and we can believe it literally because Jesus literally said what was going to happen to the temple and it literally happened. So I believe that we should be looking at the rest of what he has to say. Keep this in your mind as we study this over the next several weeks. In a literal form that he's not, he didn't change from some literal thing that he said here, prophecy, and then shifted his prophecy to some figurative prophecy, which some would want you to believe. We can trust that the rest of what he says is gonna be taken literally and have every confidence that it will come to pass. That's pretty special.
Well, the disciples, like we would have, had some questions, so they, just, they respond with three big questions in Matthew chapter 24, verse three. So it goes on to say, later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? There's the first question. What sign will signal your return? There's the second question. And what sign will signal the end of the world? So they wanted to know three things. When's this gonna happen? The destruction of the temple. And then what should we be looking for before you come back? And what should we be looking for before the world ends and comes to an end? So I wanna read to you the next five verses. These five verses we're going to be spending the rest of our time on, not not today, um, for the weeks to come. But this is how he answered them. And Jesus told them, verse four, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. These are what we call the signs of the times in which we'll be spending the rest of our time over the next several weeks working through. But the secret to understanding any of it is described in verse eight. Look at verse eight again. This is only the first of the birth pains. Paul described the return of Christ like this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse two. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And what Jesus is describing in Matthew 24, 8 is what is leading up to his return. He wants us to know that the things that we will see will be like the beginning of birth pains. And as delivery gets closer, these contractions will increase and they'll intensify. So what we're supposed to know is that when we see the pattern of this, when we see these signs increasing in number and intensifying, then we need to be looking up and understanding that the rapture is close. And these are gonna be the keys to help us understand the signs of the times. Some people want us to believe that everything Jesus said on that hillside that day on the Mount of Olives has already been fulfilled in 70 AD when Titus Um, sacked Jerusalem. Others believe that Jesus has already come back in the second coming and that we're living somewhere in the middle of the eternal state. That's a bummer if that's true, if we're living in the eternal state now. Um, There are others who would teach, and this would be like in our camp where I grew up, um, they would teach that... um, None of this Olivet discourse will happen until after the rapture. And so we don't need to study it really. It doesn't really matter to us because we're not gonna be um, living here and it doesn't pertain to us. Well, it is my belief that this passage, not, and I'll explain this later, not in its entirety but partially, was written specifically for us, and I believe specifically for us, you and me, who are living today because we are seeing the beginning of the birth pains that Jesus spoke of. One pastor said it like this, these signs, like birth pains, 
are occurring now and increasing in frequency, and they are pointing toward the rapture of the church. But the moment the church is gone, these signs will become much more severe and will throw the post-rapture world of the tribulation into a state of seizures and spasms, such as we see described in the book of Revelation. Here's a picture of a timeline of what I believe we're talking about um, here. We've got the prophecy, Jesus' prophecy in 30 AD. You've got the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And what we're seeing now, we're right here, I believe, before the rapture, just before the rapture. And you can see how these signs are increasing and they're increasing in intensity, getting us ready for the rapture of the church. And then all hell will break loose on the earth in the tribulation period. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us when the rapture will happen, but he describes what life is going to be life like during the season of the rapture, just before it happens. And I believe, my friends, that we're living in it right now. I believe we can see the increase and the intensity, the increase in intensity of these signs that Jesus is talking about. Christ comes in the air for we, his church. Every single Christian on earth will be removed, and with the Christians, so the Holy Spirit will be removed, who is the restrainer of all evil. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. God's working on earth through his people, the church, and we are supposed to be living as light and as salt in the earth, and we're supposed to be holding back and restraining all the evil. Satan wants to just pour it all out. But can you see how it's getting harder and harder to restrain the evil? Can you see how it's pushing back harder and harder and things are intensifying in the world? It's because we're getting closer to the end. And there's coming a day at the rapture of the church when we go to be with the Lord that the restrainer is removed and then all hell, all of Satan's attack will come without being hindered at all onto all mankind. Matthew 24 4 through 14, and all the signs of Matthew 24, 4 through 14 will accelerate, will accelerate into tribulation speed at that point. And labor pains will give birth to the outbreak of evil and the deliverance of judgment upon that evil. And there's the lesson. You might be saying, you know, like, so what? What we're gonna be doing, you guys, over the next several weeks as we work on this is we're gonna be looking at the specific sign that Jesus tells us is gonna happen. We're gonna be analyzing it, looking at it, and, and identifying it in our world in which we're living now. And then what we're going to do is we're going to give you practical application on how to live and how to go be the answer in the middle of all that's going on. So today we're gonna launch with this, three practical applications that we can find out of these three verses. The first one is this. Jesus wants us to know what's coming. Otherwise, he wouldn't have told us what's coming. He wants us to know what's coming. Professor Ed Hinson of Liberty University once said this, God didn't give us Bible prophecy to scare us. He gave it to prepare us. I so want that. I, I want you to write that down somewhere, put it in a poster, and like you know, hang it on your refrigerator or something. What's that? Make some shirts. Okay, sister, you work on that and we'll see what happens. All right, go for a shirt. <laughs> that would be a good shirt, you know? It would certainly get people to ask you questions, that's for sure. Jesus said, before I come back, there will be, 
deception by false Christs. There will be dissension among the nations. There will be devastation worldwide. There will be deliverance of believers from tribulation. There will be defection of false believers. And there will be declaration of the gospel worldwide. He said, if you wanna know what the future looks like, here it is. These are the things that the future looks like. And let me ask you, do you see any of these things happening right now? Well, I wanna tell you that you have a book in your hands right now that tells you everything you need to know about what's happening in the world around you right now. Jesus is showing us in this passage, this Olivet Discourse, what to look for so that we know how to live. And if we listen, we won't be surprised by it when it comes, which is the next practical application. Jesus wants us to be ready when it comes. Whatever that it is. Um, there is an it coming. You get that, right? And we're gonna see signs of things that are coming, but we won't know exactly what all that evil is. There'll still be a lot of questions that we have yet to be answered. Kind of reminds me of Gandalf, though. I'd be showing you a clip right now of the Lord of the Rings, but because we're live streaming, I can't show you those clips anymore. Some of you are saying, hallelujah, we don't like those clips, but I'd like, they're my favorite clips to show you. There's this one part of the movie um, in the Lord of the Rings where the enemy is trying to sack the city. The enemy is trying to knock down um, the gates of the city. And all the soldiers are standing behind and they're nervous and they're scared. And Gandalf cries out to the soldiers and this is what he says. Soldiers of Gondor, whatever comes through that gate, stand your ground. Not a whole lot of comfort there, you know? He didn't say, soldiers of Gandalf. No. <laughs> soldiers of Gondor. There's no big deal on the other side of the gate. As it's pounding and pounding and pounding, and the big flaming head of the dragon comes through the gate. Whatever comes through the gate, stand your ground. Here's the cry for us, a league of extraordinary believers. There's an it coming, and it's right on the other side of the gate. And the cry that we're going to be proclaiming and the cry that we're going to be hearing from the pages of Scripture is, children of God, whatever comes through the gate, stand your ground. Because you're a child of the King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself. John 16, one through four, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. And can't you hear him crying out, stand your ground. This is coming from Jesus, our commander. In fact, if you and I will listen and we'll learn and we will get out of bed every morning thinking Jesus might return today, I guarantee you we'll probably live very differently than we did yesterday. We'll live with intentionality. 
We'll live with the view that the kingdom is at hand and Christ is our king. One last thing. Jesus wants us to trust him in everything. Jesus said to John in Revelation twenty-two thirteen. 13, he said, John, write this down. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Listen to me, children of God, soldiers of the king. No one has a grasp of the future as firmly and completely as Jesus does. No one. Who else do you know has one foot planted in eternity and one foot planted in reality and time? As the eternal God, and Jesus is the eternal God, Jesus sees all of humanity from beginning to the end, from Adam to the Antichrist. I want to read you what Isaiah 46, 9 says. This is God speaking to us. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God and there is no one like me. Only I can tell you the future before it ever happens. Are you hearing me? No, I mean, are you hearing the word? Let me read that one more time. Only I can tell you the future before it ever happens. True or false? True. In fact, in the Old Testament, through the prophets, was it the prophets' words that were spoken to the people about their futures? Is it the prophets' words that we're reading about from all of the Old Testament about things that we're seeing happen today? No, these are the words of God given to the prophets to be spoken to man. Only I can tell you the future before it ever happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. I have said what I would do, and I will do it. This is what we're studying right here. And here's the lesson. We can trust the Lord with our future. Not just the future in general, but your future, my future specifically. He's got it under control. And we may have lots of questions, just like the disciples did. In fact, Jesus didn't even answer one of the questions that they asked. Instead, he gave them a series of signs of what the end of the world would look like. And we don't know exactly what's on the other side of those gates, but we don't need to be worried about it because the Lord Jesus knows and he's in full control of all of that. And He wants us to trust him with our future and remain faithful and strong to the end no matter what comes through those gates. I hope you'll hang with us through the rest of this study. As we week by week work our way through this passage and figure out together and determine to be the answer for a world who is in desperate need of rebirth. It's gonna be a great study together. You got time for a little um, story? I am so excited about the way the Lord is working in our midst. And you who are sharing Christ with people and sharing your life with people and people are coming to Jesus. And um, I wanna tell you about a life group that showed up here Wednesday night. 
And they had a heart for this series that we're doing. And so together as a group, they came to the church building and they did a walk, a prayer walk around the building. And they just prayed that God would bless the series, that he would protect us during the series and protect our hearts and this church. And um, they wanted to get their picture at the cross. And so they were standing at the cross and um, trying to figure out, you know how it is when you're wanting to get a group picture, so like you're drawing straws to see who doesn't get in the picture because they have to take the picture. Okay, that's kind of what was going on. And, and they were waiting for, they were, they were trying to figure out who's gonna take the picture and this couple walks by with their kids and they were walking the trails around the church. And they said, hey, would you be willing to take a picture for us? And so they said, yeah, sure. So the, the gal took a picture of them and um, they started to walk away and the group started to disband. And one of our, one of our guys in the group, um, Larry Christopoulos, um, he broke away from his group and he went over to talk to this couple. And right here by the cross, he talked to them, shared with them Jesus, and led them to Jesus. Praise the Lord. This, my friends, listen, coincidental, right? What a coincidence that they just happened to be walking by, just happened to be taking a picture. This is God at work. In the end times, we're gonna study this more, but the end times, he says, I will pour out my spirit and the gospel will be heard. And what an awesome thing it is to be part of God's family and have the opportunity. My question is, do you have eyes to see do you have open eyes and a willingness to share the gospel and to see that there are people right in front of you that need Jesus? And they're ready, my friends. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We carry the truth of the gospel with us in our hearts. And we can share it. And that's what being the answer is all about, is being willing to take the gospel and being open to share the gospel wherever we can, whenever we can, until Jesus returns. You ready for it? You up for it? All right, let's stand together and let me pray over you as we go. Father, we love you and we thank you for your love for us. And um, it is hard, Lord, nobody's denying it's hard to live in this world in the way that it is and the direction that it's going is, is very discouraging to us. But we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we have your spirit inside of us. So I ask, Lord, that you will give us power and strength and a determination to go take on the world in however, um, in whatever fashion you want to use us. We want to be the answer for a world with questions. So help us as we walk out of this place today to have eyes open like that and a heart open like that. Um, to make a difference in our world around us. Bless my brothers and sisters as we leave this place and use us powerfully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, my friends. We'll see you next week.